Welcome is indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than Yasmin Aliyah Khan, who is a host, Global Thread Podcast, Modern Context, Rebel HQ, contributor and superstar. Always fascinating to have a breakdown. First story of the day, Congressman Jamal Bowman to plead guilty. And conservatives are saying off with his head, put up the picture full mass. He's going to plead guilty according to him. And this is per NBC News, Representative Jamal Bowman, Democrat out of New York, indicated he will plead guilty to a misdemeanor for pulling a fire alarm in a congressional building on Capitol Hill last month. We talked about it when it happened. Bowman has agreed to pay the maximum fine of $1,000 for one misdemeanor count of falsely pulling a fire alarm, a charge that carries a maximum penalty of six months in jail. He will also provide a formal apology to the Capitol Police. Bowman's office said he made an agreement with the Attorney General's office that would lead to the charges being withdrawn in three months on condition that he pay the fine and submit the apology letter. Quote, I am responsible. Can we just pause on those three words for a moment? A politician saying, I am responsible. I'm going somewhere with this. So he says, I am responsible for activating the alarm. I will be paying the fine and look forward to the charges being ultimately dropped. It's an agreement. Bowman said this in a statement on Wednesday. A spokesperson for the Washington, D.C. Attorney General's Office said in a separate statement that Bowman's, uh, Bowman is pleading guilty and has agreed to pay the maximum fine. The alarm was set off September 30th in the Cannon House office building as Republican lawmakers sought to kick off a vote on a spending measure to keep the government open. In a statement hours after the incident, Bowman said he activated the alarm by mistake after having it come, having come across a door that was typically open for votes, but were not open that day. Quote, I am embarrassed to admit that I activated the fire alarm, mistakenly thinking it would open the door. I regret this and sincerely apologize for any confusion this caused. He said at the time, after the vote, Bowman said he also met with the sergeant at arms and Capitol Police at their request and explained what happened. I want to be very clear. This was not me in any way trying to delay any vote. Okay, Bowman said, my hope is that no one will make more of this than it was. So let me explain what the um, representative is, say, is saying. Uh, he could not get out of particular doors. That has been somewhat corroborated already. Uh, so he decided to go out of a door that really you don't go out of. And he thought the latch he pulled would open that door. Uh, but instead, it set off the entire fire alarm system. Okay. Now, I read the DC statute for what he's actually pleading guilty to. Based on his narrative of events, in order to be charged criminally, it requires malicious conduct and mens rea, meaning 
He intentionally wanted to pull it. He knew exactly what he was doing, and it was illegal, and he did it for nefarious purposes. Naturally, that does not add up to the narrative that he has presented. I actually do believe Mr. Bowman. All right, there's more. In a statement Wednesday, the Capitol Police said the investigation was complete and that the probable cause warrant had been submitted to the Washington Attorney General's office. Our agents gathered all the evidence, packaged it up, and sent the entire case with charges to prosecutors for their consideration, Capitol Police said. Well, damn, did you do the same thing? I mean, that's quick justice for the people that tried to literally destroy the whole country at the Capitol. I mean, this was a fast investigation here. There's more, put it up, full mass. So this person, Representative Lisa McClain, Republican out of Michigan, who is the secretary for the House Republican Conference, wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter. She planned to introduce a resolution to censor Bowman and remove him from all committee assignments for the rest of the 118th Congress for activating the alarm system. Um, As far as her resolution for this, it doesn't exist. Need I remind people in DC what really happened that they decided to defend the conservatives defended this madness? Returning to my post, I continued to monitor the radio. I could hear Commander Glover leading the defense efforts at the Capitol as the protesters began their transition from peaceful assembly into terrorism. Around this time, one of the terrorists who had scaled the scaffolding that adorned the Capitol at the time threw something heavy down at me and struck me in the head, disorienting me. I suspect this resulted in the likely concussion I dealt with in the weeks after. I braced myself against the impact of their blows and feared the worst. One latched onto my face and got his thumb in my right eye, attempting to gouge it out. I cried out in pain and managed to shake him off. So he believed ours to be the last line of defense before the terrorists had true access to the building and to potentially our elected representatives. Eventually, it was my turn in the meat grinder that was the front line. On my left was a man with a clear riot shield stolen during the assault. He slammed it against me and with all the weight of the bodies pushing behind him, trapped me. The mob of terrorists were coordinating their efforts now, shouting heave, ho, as they synchronized, pushing their weight forward, crushing me further against the metal doorframe. The man in front of me grabbed my baton that I still held in my hands, and in my current state, I was unable to retain my weapon. He bashed me in the head and face with it, rupturing my lip and adding additional injury to my skull. That's just one. That's just one individual who testified to the facts that are supported by video evidence, pictures, and witnesses. But conservative members of Congress are creating resolutions against Congressman Jamal Bowman because he pulled a fire alarm that injured nobody, provided no catalyst to destruction of property. All right, this is the thoughts here. 
Yeah. The thing with this is fine. He did it. He'll pay the consequences for it. He's doing that and he's cooperating with the judicial process. And honestly, as you pointed out, that's way more than we ever get from most members of the government. Instead, they usually fight back against allegations. They gaslight us, telling us that we can't trust the things that we see and the things that we see them do and the things that we hear them say, and we're left waiting for justice and it just never comes. We're seeing this play out right now in both New York and Georgia with those Trump trials. They had to offer his entire legal team plea deals before any of them admitted to doing any wrong doing. And we know that despite what some of them have said in their statements, they knew what they were doing while they were doing it. They knew that it was all illegal and they knew what the potential consequences of their actions were. And you know what? I don't even want to mention the January 6th insurrection and how vehemently Republican Congress people defended the insurrectionists and those behind it. They denied the seriousness of the riot and more. And they literally tried just last week to install one of the architects of that insurrection as Speaker of the House. Jim Jordan was out there with a bullhorn on January 6th, but he was still somehow a viable speaker. But then at the same time, Jamal Bowman now needs to be stripped of all his committee appointments. It makes no sense. Right, right. And the Republicans just for the record, they have voted in as their speaker, a guy who was also an architect to protect the president of that time, Trump, and his rhetoric by way of an amicus brief, Congressman Mike Johnson. All right, there's an interesting um, dynamic, um, once again, connected to a very sad reality of this nation. Now, here's what I want to do. There's another mass shooting in the United States of America. Multiple people dead, multiple people injured. I want to first take you to what Sean Hannity had to say, broadcasting. Right after this trauma. Here it is. What bothers me, and this, it, I could literally probably count the seconds before an incident like this becomes politicized. And that part of it I never like because that's not going to bring back lives. And then I always ask the question when something like this happens, what is your plan? What do you do? I have a personal security plan. I train in mixed martial arts. I've been a big believer in the Second Amendment for a long time with the prayer that I never would ever to use it. Um, Maine happens to be a rural area where people tend to be involved in outdoor sports. So I would imagine a lot of people are going to have a lot of defense issues. But the bigger question, why, what do you see as the underlying cause of a lot of these shootings? I want you to understand the hypocrisy of Hannity during moments like this, where tragedy is real. He wants to dissuade anyone from the argument of a policy solution. So instead of calling it a policy solution and a good faith debate about what policies would lead to a better outcome, instead of that, he says, I'm just waiting for them to politicize it. And, and we're not going to politicize it on my political show as we continue to politicize it the other way. So he wants you to think somehow talking policy is a bad thing. Do you know what political means? Or the dynamic of something being politicized, it means having to do with the affairs of the country of government. That's the core of the definition of the word. He probably doesn't know that. In addition to that, he literally then proceeds to give an interview about solutions 
that are absolutely not solutions that are credible, uh, such as his ability to engage in martial art. He literally said this on television as if somehow that is a serious barrier to a mass shooter. They're reaching 40 year old Robert Carr. The suspect in Wednesday's mass shooting, which took place in Maine, is facing eight counts of murder, according to Maine State Police Colonel William G. Ross. As authorities have identified eight victims and are working to identify 10 more. An intensive manhunt is underway. This card remains at large and should be considered armed and dangerous. Why Hannity talks up his martial arts skills. As of now, 18 people are reported dead, another 13 injured. Seven of the people killed in the shooting were found at a bowling alley. It's called just in time recreation, including one woman and six men, all died from apparent gunshot wounds. Eight of those killed were found near the Scamingus Bar and Grill including seven men inside the establishment and one who was found outside. All of those victims also died of apparent gunshot wounds. An additional three people killed in the shootings have been taken to local hospitals. I put up the Colonel, this is Colonel Ross. On Thursday, he provided a timeline of events around Wednesday's mass shootings. Here's how he detailed it. On October 25th, approximately 6.56 p.m., the Auburn Communication Center received a 911 call of a male shooting in just in time for uh, or the SPAR, uh, Spare Time Recreation Center. At about 7.08 p.m. Eastern Time, the Communication Center received multiple 911 calls about an active shooter inside of the bar and grill in Maine. Okay, you have a map to help you understand distance covered, and you have a timeline given. The police department released this image of the vehicle connected to the shootings. The colonel also said, quote, a large law enforcement response from the multiple surrounding agencies assisted with the Lewiston Police Department in trying to identify who this individual was and what was happening. As you can imagine, this was a very fast paced, fast moving, very fluid scene, very dangerous scene that these guys and girls were going into. Let me give you what's available on card. Law enforcement officials in Maine, they tell CNN that card is a certified firearms instructor and a member of the US Army Reserve. Card had recently made threats to carry out a shooting at a National Guard facility in Maine and also reported mental health issues, including hearing voices, according to the official, okay? Um, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Oh, Newt, Newt finds a way to always kind of weasel his way back on television, make himself halfway relevant. So this is what Newt um, had to say about the mass shooting. News is a bit sketchy, your reaction to the initial reports here. Well, I mean, first of all, it's horrible. Yep. And I think that we're going to have to really think through a better method 
of protecting people. Uh, <clears throat> frankly, in kind states that have uh, concealed carry and other permits, constitutional carry permits, you have a much more rapid response to these kind of people who are crazy. Uh, and uh, we have no idea what this person's motivation was, but I think we have to assume as we move forward that people, and by the way, this also applies to what happened in Israel uh, when Hamas attacked. Uh, we have to have a greater ability for our citizens to protect themselves because it's clear the law enforcement comes in after uh, the massacre, uh, but the law enforcement's almost never there to stop the massacre. Uh, this has been true in Europe. It's been true here. Uh, it's been true in Israel. So I think we have to think about a whole new strategy because these kind of people are extraordinarily dangerous, are willing to kill others, have no sense of decency. And frankly, you have to stop them as early as possible to minimize the loss of individual lives. You know what, Newt? I actually agree with your last statement. Stop them as early as possible. You see, in your context, you would like to stop them after they kill, I don't know, maybe five people, maybe six, possibly seven. And then you stop them. You see, I think we can actually stop them earlier than that, Newt. I think we can stop them before they actually get their hands on the weaponry. I think we can stop them by not having a broken mental health system. I think we can stop them by challenging the narrative of a gun culture and that guns are the solution for everything. So Newt is saying the answer is to get more guns, not to have less guns. The answer is to have more ammunition, not less ammunition. Uh, the insanity is unreal, uh, but these are the guys that cannot give you a policy solution. Everything that they're offering you is sentiment, feeling, nothing else. None of this stuff is policy. Government is elected to bring you policy answers, to make remedy by way of policy. I don't give a damn that you feel the way I feel. I don't care that you can uh, sympathize or empathize. That's not why you get elected. You get elected for policy solution. Anything else, that's between you and your God. But policy is why you have a job. All right. Sister thoughts. Yeah, you know, Newton Gingrich talking about decency is quite rich. And yeah, like I feel like he he was gone for so long and then all of a sudden he was back and he was like in the mix for being speaker. I don't know why he's back, but I'd rather he wasn't. You know, Hannity wants to talk about politicization, but he is the one politicizing things. He's running interference, he's blocking and obstructing the gun narrative that inevitably and understandably comes up every time our nation suffers another deadly and preventable shooting. Of course, shootings create discourse. As a nation, you know, we mourn the lives that are lost in shootings like this one, but we also mourn the circumstances that lead to incidents like this one. We mourn our nation's state of poverty and poor mental health that contributes to these shootings, but we also mourn the fact that our government does nothing to help the things that it can help. Not only do they not do anything about these things, but they also even refuse to talk about them. You have news hosts like Hannity shaming people for basically wanting things to be better for next time, so that we don't have to lose any of those lives whatever Newt Gingrich was trying to prove his point uh you know we want to prevent the needless loss of life in the future his job Hannity's job is simply to delay that conversation long enough until yep. either a new headline takes over which will happen inevitably or people will just become fatigued with grief whichever one comes first 
Well said, well said. And here's the thing, the majority of Americans are on the same side as it relates to gun reform in this country. The people who oppose the majority sentiment are the interest groups and the politicians they purchase. All right, this is actually a very beautiful story. A young black male creates a new soap that has him basically the smartest kid in the world. This is a scientist, put him up, full mass. He-Man Bakel, and I love the fact his first name is spelled He-Man. A black Virginian teen has recently been recognized as one of the smartest people in the nation, developing a soap that helps treat skin cancer. A ninth grader, the teen scientific discovery has won him a five-figure cash prize and the title of America's top young scientist. So amazing. So let me give you some background. The 14-year-old student at W.T. Woodson High School in Annadale, Virginia, has been named the winner of the prestigious 2023 3M Young, Young Scientist Challenge, presented by 3M and Discovery Education at the company's global headquarters in St. Paul, Minnesota. October 9th and 10th were the dates. So this 14-year-old outshined nine other finalists over a four-month competition period. His submission, a groundbreaking compound-based skin cancer treating soap, SCTS, blew the judges away, secured him the grand prize. Um, as the winner, he walked away with a champion's title and $25,000 in the pocket. All of the young people were paired with 3M scientists before being charged to navigate a series of interactive challenges. Over that time, the nine students were rigorously evaluated based on their ingenuity, application of STEM principles, passion for research, presentation skills, and their ability to inspire. He also started to delve deeply into the research about skin cancer and dendritic cells that informed his submission video. His mentor, Deborah Isabel from 3M's Automotive Aftermarket Vision, and she helped him bring his idea to reality. That's called mentorship. Uh, his students' uh, melanoma treating soap will be cost effective. Each bar can be manufactured and sold for 50 cents. The youngest or the young scientists wanted the innovative treatment to be an accessible and affordable alternative to conventional methods of skin cancer treatment. And that is only the start. Skin cancer is the most common in people living in developing countries. So now we have international application. However, the average price of an operation it's $40,000. So Hemon told Fairfax County Public Schools, according to WION News, leading him to speak about how people who lack money are victims. Quote, there are so many preventable deaths, he said. Looking ahead to the next five years, he intends to establish a nonprofit organization dedicated to making the medicinal cleansing compound readily available to those who require it the most at a low cost. 
In the next 15 years, he hopes to become an electrical engineer. Put his picture. You see, this is the future of our world. While old, decrepit, political pundits and their cronies who call themselves public officials wax poetic about capitalism, making more money, getting an increase to the bottom line. There's an emerging class of leadership from my youth population who says, you all got it wrong. You all got it wrong. People are more important than money. I congratulate, salute this young man, his family, the mentors that he has around him. They're proud of him, very thankful for his leadership. Uh, he is my future, he is your future. All right, just just the thoughts here. Yeah, I love this. My fiance is white and he's always outside in the garden. And I'm always like, can you please just wear your sunblock? Like I'm always just preaching to him <laughs> to put on some sunblock. But you know, these are my favorite kinds of stories. I love this. I love that. I love to see young people thriving. And I love that this kid was in an environment that was supportive enough that he was allowed to thrive in such a way. So much of education is about the teachers and about the resources that are available to those students. There's so much potential in these kids. And I will always support efforts to bring that out of them. I think people that seek to stifle young ingenuity and people who try to defund education and things like that are a special kind of evil. But things like this make me feel a lot better. There you go. You know, scripture says, and a child shall lead them. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Let me read some of these amazing comments before I do that. A big reminder, all right, membership, membership, membership. A viewer shared, watching TYT is one of the ways that we do get some people hope here, okay? And understand that it can be extremely depressing to hear similar narrative from allegedly different points of view. Right. Um, but here we tell you authentic truth, perspective that has not been purchased. Uh, and we hope that you resonate to it, even if you don't agree with everything we say as opinion commentator. So we say thank you. A TYT member is a fighter, a leader, a change maker, a believer in positive transformation. Your support. Helps us deliver bold commentary you don't see anywhere else. Help us continue to do this work. You can click the join button or go to tyt.com slash join. Real simple, real easy. All right, this is Siva Tasvax. Uh, we are prosecuting LOL crimes of congressmen now. I know that it is ironic, isn't it? Like, these guys literally have, um, you know, illegal stuff in their refrigerators and mattresses. And Bowman is the first one to get prosecuted. Ironic. Over 9,000 says they're just mad at Bowman uh, for calling out the bigotry written into legislation, making crusty Virginia have a tantrum. Can we start calling ancient carers Virginians? Virginia's 
for genius. Oh, man, I got to take that under consideration. That's actually a great recommendation, though. I am sorry. Bowman should have blamed it on vaccines or Hunter Biden's laptop or Havana syndrome. I would have blamed it on Hunter Biden's crack pipe. That seems to, that seems to carry weight uh, with conservative. Uh, Joe Jonas called Dragon. Um, I don't think MMA is, <laughs> I don't think MMA is going to be any good against an MR15. What made Hannah to say that? All right. Um, Interesting. So, uh, Cray Cray Souffle, uh, way to go, he man. You have the power. Try Lady FT, 10 26 87. A homeless addict gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. They overcame obstacles. Hmm. Preserved. And 36 years later, mom is clean. And daughter is an up and coming artist. Yeah. It's baby and me. Um, happy birthday to you. Very proud of you. Happy and birthday. Yes. Oh, speaking of birthdays, um, your birthday is basically now. Like, I, if, if my birthday was tomorrow, my birthday is actually today. That's what I would tell them. I, I have a birthday month. So it I just feels like it's already birthday. my birthday. I don't want to take away from someone else's birthday. Mine's technically awesome. tomorrow, but awesome. yeah. There you go. The celebration starts tonight. <laughs> it starts tonight. You know, yeah. going 35, to the early I'm 88. So. Oh, wow. 102788. Yeah. I think the the person said 102687, if I heard right. Uh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Neil Whittington. Thank you for that. My original song, Epic, fits in, fits right in, course. Uh, there gotta be no way, there's got to be no way that you nor me can buy them. It's in our rights, but it was written back when we could shoot only one shot at a time. That is so true. It wasn't written for what we have today. All right, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. We have until 10 because what? Because I'm asking to get in the room. You're not even a registered Okay, guest. You're, you're asking to get in the room because of what? Because the hallway smells like smoke. And it's us? It's right around this area. Okay, does that mean it's us? Can you put the camera down? No, because you're harassing. I'm not. You knocked on the door multiple times. I said, please come back. Yeah. I'm feeding my son. Please leave us alone. If you're the friend desk lady, call us on the phone. I'm praising God. I don't need you. I don't like. I'm praising God. Okay, thank you. We will check out at 11, man. We didn't do nothing wrong, okay? Thank you very much. Okay, then you better start getting ready. Okay, thank you very much, man. You're welcome. God bless you. Yes. This is why we do these, to bring awareness. It's a public service announcement. Put up the care in full mass here. Let's explain the saga that just unfolded. This is in an extended stay in, in Kansas City. The alleged Karen here was walking down the hallway. And according to her, she smelled smoke. Now, I think everyone understands the construction of an inn, a hotel, motel, extended stay, et cetera. They're very similar. They have multiple doors per hallway. She decided to start knocking on the door 
of this one particular room. And the guy says, hey, I'm, I'm feeding my child. Uh, if this is the front desk, can you call us? Um, be happy to talk to you. And she refused to stop knocking. He answers the door. Now, this is the, the other part. Uh, he's now, uh, he has now opened the door, okay? She says she wants to come in. He says, for what? Now, if there's some kind of, I guess, massive smoking going on inside of the room that can permeate between doors and the window and the wall, you would imagine that as soon as he opened that door, I mean, boom, proof positive. We have evidence. Doesn't seem to be the case here. Uh, and obviously, uh, when she did the checkout and to just put that picture up again, this move right here, uh, this is the move that to me, indicates the whole motive behind the interaction. It's time for you to go. All right, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was nice of her to tell him what time it was. Maybe he just, <laughs> she's want to give him like a heads up. I, I don't know, it was like what you were saying. I don't know how she ended up deciding that his room was a room with the smoke, but either way, if you have a random person coming up to your hotel room asking to get into your hotel room, right. that would be unwelcome under normal circumstances. So the fact that she thought that she could just enter this man's room is already very strange. I don't know. Yeah, uh, extremely. I'm sure that was a violation of some protocol. Okay, um, there's a woman who decided to commit a fraud, told people she had cancer, did not Stole a bunch of money, she'll voice jail time. Put up the picture full mass here, hell of a story. Madison Russo, okay, Madison Russo, an Iowa woman who pretended to have various forms of cancer, has been mandated by a judge to give back the money raised for her fraudulent battle with cancer. Despite a GoFundMe campaign where she talked about having a terminal illness, Multiple, by the way, not just one, multiple illnesses. She garnered about $40,000 in straight cash, mostly from people on social media who are decent and good and actually give a damn. She maintains now none of it was for money or attention. Um, you see this? You see this, right? Okay, so she gets caught. So Russo said in court, the lie was to get her troubled family back together. So she masqueraded in a fake wig, doctored up pictures, and purchased medical equipment. Um, that is also manipulation and fraud too. Uh, Russo, uh, who at the time, uh, was an 18-year-old freshman at St. Ambrose University, told people on TikTok, GoFundMe, Facebook, and LinkedIn that she had uh, pancreatic cancer, leukemia, a football-sized tumor around her spine, documenting her battle, in quotation, uh, with the dreaded diseases on her social media platform, okay? The ploy was actually exposed after 439 people, mostly strangers, and um, cancer charities poured in thousands of dollars in donations. According to the Eldridge Police Department, multiple witnesses with medical experience noticed medical discrepancies in Russo's social media. Like 
She was using the wrong kind of equipment for the cancer she claimed to have. They then contacted detectives to investigate the claim. Russo's medical records were then subpoenaed. And they showed she had never been diagnosed with any kind of cancer or tumor from any medical facilities within the Quad Cities or surrounding cities. After being found out, uh, the resident pleaded guilty in June of 2023 to first degree theft. Now, obviously, they could have charged her with a whole lot more, but they decided to settle on this. On Friday, October 20th, at a sentencing hearing in Scott County Courthouse, the judge, John Talene, gave Russo a 10 year sentence and then suspended it. I'm going to explain that in a moment. 100 hours of community service and a fine of $1,370. She was also ordered to pay $39,000 in restitution, talking about the money she stole. Uh, with a suspended sentence, Russo will not serve time in jail as long as she meets the conditions by the judge. Let me explain what this is. So, this is an awesome power by judge, okay? Not used a lot. It's, it's really rarely. Some judges go their whole uh, tenure on the bench and don't use a suspended sentence ruling. Uh, but it's basically saying you get 10 years. 10 years. You're going to jail 10 years. That's where you should be. 10 years for this crime. But because I've decided based on factors I don't have to explain that you don't need those 10 years, I'm going to just suspend the sentence. So on the docket, it still looks like I gave you 10 years. All right. So when you look up the record, it's going to say 10 years. But I suspended the 10 years I gave you. So you serve zero time. Her defense attorneys pushed to have her receive a deferred judgment, which would clear her record if she completed probation successfully. Uh, But the judge did not budge on that. He said it is important for people to know she is a felon, that people should know she was a part of a criminal scheme and that she must face the serious consequences of her crime. Some people who donated said in court they felt betrayed by her and the prosecutors for giving her such a light plea deal. Others took to social media suggesting she should have received a harder sentence. Quote, so if she, so if she refunds all the money she stole, she's left with a $1,000 fine. Got off pretty darn easy, one person tweeted. The restitution has already been paid and the crowdfunding platform refunded the deceived owner. GoFundMe released a statement regarding Russo's actions. GoFundMe has a zero tolerance policy for misuse of our platform and cooperates with law enforcement investigations of those accused of wrongdoing, the company said. Literally, if you stole a candy bar out of Walmart, you would get more time. Because Walmart has a zero tolerance policy that prosecute every single person who steals. It's an adverse policy, of course. I can't stand it. I think it's wrong. But do you not find it ironic that this individual had such a massive plan? She invested into the scheme by purchasing medical equipment. She then came up with a litany of variations of illnesses in order to play on the emotions of others who may have been adversely impacted by those things or may be part of charities that give money to leukemia, but not um, this, not pancreatic cancer. So she gets all of them together. It's extremely strategic and measured. And the judge basically gives her a $1,000 fine. All right, this is the thoughts here.
Yeah. You know, if I had less of a moral compass or just like, you know, just less of a guilty conscience, I would have way more money, I think. Mm. So Jamal Bowman is facing six months for a thing that he did and he confessed to doing. And this person is committing fraud shamelessly and gets off with a fine. Like if her family is this dysfunctional that, you know, I, I guess I feel for them, but that really doesn't excuse scamming innocent people of their money. And as you mentioned, Whatever her intention was here, it's incredibly manipulative. I get that being manipulative isn't a criminal offense, but I don't like it. But seriously, though, you know, we already have a shoddy healthcare system in this country, one that often leads people to depend on the goodness and the goodwill of strangers to help them pay their medical bills. It's not a good system. It shouldn't be this way, but it is the way that people have learned to adapt and cope while we wait and see if our government wants to fund our healthcare with our own tax dollars. Someone taking advantage of that goodness and goodwill is unforgivable, and it really shouldn't be encouraged. Her punishment should have been a lot more significant. Yeah, and it erodes at the trust that people generally have when they see um, pictures like that, GoFundMe opportunities. Uh, Now, those individuals may say, I'm not giving anymore online. And that harms the people who actually need it because they have a real illness. And like you just said, this system of healthcare is inadequate for them. But she harms that process and those individuals who deserve it. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Let me read a few of these amazing comments. I'm somewhat pressed for time, okay? Uh, snack underscore Panther. Look at Karen with the Huxtable sweater on. You are right. I didn't notice that, but that, that is correct. Um, Wolf Dragon Donna, actually, rather than changing Karen's to Virginia, you should just start another segment called I Wish a Jenny Would to cover corruption among our elected officials and SCOTUS. That may stick. Thank you for that recommendation. And YouTube member, all right? So, uh, Green Fairy 65 was gifted a membership by Librio. Uh, and thank you, Cyber Gothica, same thing. Emmanuel Lynch, same thing. Nikki and is this Xerxes X? I think. And one more, we got Twitch. All right. Um, Dissident PM. I'm sorry, sir, uh, but my nose is better than a bloodhound. Uh, this is Karen. <laughs> All right. Um, You know, we brought you this story. This is an update to a story we brought you where a woman was killed, mowed down, basically. No arrest, no charges. Finally, there are charges. Put it up full mass. We called for charges on day one. Sonny White, a 28-year-old Montana mom of two children named Arian and the other child named Nation. Okay? was arrested finally for fatally striking Mika Westwolf, a 22-year-old Native American woman in March of 2023, while allegedly driving high on meth. And then claiming she mistook the victim for a deer. White was apprehended in Flathead County Friday on a warrant out of Lake County, charging her with vehicular homicide while under the influence. Keep that picture up. Now, I want to say this. 
This happened back in March. We covered it back in March. We called for charges back in March. Protesters, activists, individuals like myself, you, people like yourself who saw the story, cared, said something, pushed these local authorities to do what they've done, which is to provide prosecutorial justice. Additional charges against white include accidents involving another person or deceased person, two counts of criminal child endangerment, and criminal possession of dangerous drugs. It took them this long to make a simple arrest, and there's a dead human body. Following White's arrest, Westwood's family released a statement saying this was, quote, just the beginning of the journey towards justice. Let me give a recap. Westwood was walking along Highway 93 in the area of Arley in the early hours of March 31st, when she was hit by White's Cadillac Escalade that was carrying her four-year-old daughter, Arian Holmes is the name. And her two-year-old son was in the car as well, named Nation Holmes. One Arian, the other one Nation. There's more. A search of White's Cadillac actually turned up methamphetamine, syringes, and two unopened packages of Narcan. That's according to an affidavit filed in the case. A blood test showed that the mom of two had methamphetamine and fentanyl in her system at the time of the crash. The investigation into Westworth's death lasted seven months. They did not charge this woman with all of that evidence, putting children in danger, killing a whole human being, having illegal narcotics in the vehicle, in her body. Seven months, during which time the victim's family led a statewide campaign to raise awareness of her case and others involving murdered and missing indigenous women and demand that White be brought to account. Carissa Heavy Runner, Westworth's mother, told the Mussolini that she was glad to learn of White's arrest. West Wolf is a member of the Blackfeet Nation. And her brother, Davian Howard, were returning from a bar at the midnight of March 31st, when for an unknown reason, she got out of the car near North Valley Creek and walked away, leaving her phone behind. White assumed she had hit a deer and swerved left. West Wolf was hit head on, thrown in the car on impact and died on the spot from multiple blunt force injuries. Shortly after 4 a.m., tribal officer T.J. Haynes came across West Wolf's body on Highway 93, surrounded by car debris from a crash. About an hour later, a Lake County Sheriff's deputy spotted a gold 2008 Cadillac Escalade with front end damage and a missing side mirror parked outside the town of Polson. White, who was seen removing items from the damaged SUV and transferring them to another vehicle, told the deputy that she had struck a deer and did not stop. White claimed she was passing a bottle back to her baby and did not see the deer, according to the affidavit. The 28-year-old later told Montana Highway Patrol trooper who responded to the scene that she was driving with the two children um, from but to 
Kalispell for the weekend. She denied drinking alcohol and said she had not used methamphetamine or fentanyl for an entire week. She said that on the record, that's according to the court document. In the wake of her death, Westworld's family launched the Mika Matters movement to call for justice through protest and awareness. Earlier this year, a petition was created on moveon.org, calling on the Justice Department to take over the investigation into West, Wolf, West Wolf's death, claiming that local authorities are being uncooperative and frustratingly slow. Uh, you don't say. I mean, hell, they had enough to lock her up just on child endangerment on day one. Okay, they literally caught her in uh, at the vehicle that did the killing. All right, uh, insane, insane. But it should not take this much to bring a killer to justice. But this is what it takes in this country, unfortunately, especially in some jurisdictions more so than others. Uh, this is what do you thought? Yeah, I haven't heard of this story until now, and it is outrageous on so many levels. This story has white supremacy, it has drug abuse, it has the murder of an indigenous woman, and it's a justice system failure on top of all of that. I don't know how this woman turned out this way to the point that she is unapologetically, almost proudly holding on to really ignorant beliefs, naming her children after those ignorant beliefs. You know, to the point where she's on drugs, to the point that she's full of hate for strangers. But I always feel like this things like this are a systemic failure. Now, I want to be clear, this woman is absolutely responsible for what she did, regardless of who or what failed her. But she's still very much a symptom of much larger and deeper problems that we're largely ignoring in our country. And the fact that Indigenous people are still so disrespected in this country is unbelievable and unforgivable at this point. We know yeah. better. We should know better. We will bring updates as uh, the case continues through the judicial system, all right? Republicans finally decided on a nominee to be the new Speaker of the House, a guy who tried to, let's just say, design an overthrow of the actual democracy that elected him. A reporter reminded them of this, posed the question, here's what happened. Wait a minute. They seemed quite organized when that reporter posed the question. I wonder, before they did the press conference, did somebody say, hey guys, if somebody reminds us that this guy actually created a design to overthrow democracy, we're all going to respond in this way. Let's see it again. They are afraid of mere questions from a reporter. And you think they are going to stand up to, I don't know, an oil tycoon? Maybe a bank executive. How about a billionaire? They have no chance. These individuals are feckless. They are afraid of their own sense 
of governance. They know good and damn well overthrowing the election was illegal. They know anyone who was a part of it is adversarial and antithetical to what we call democracy. They are opposers of the sentiment of the Constitution that declares this nation to be allegedly a democracy. So let me give you some more background. Put them up. I will tell you who the new leader is for now. It may not last. This person still has to pass a general vote to become speaker. So Tuesday night, House Republicans presented to the public Representative Mike Johnson. You actually know him. You may not remember his name. This is the caucus's new choice for House Speaker, surrounded by a cluster of supporters. Quote, you helped lead the effort to overturn the election results. ABC reporter Rachel Scott posed the question. It's a relevant question. You just put a guy in leadership capacity, perhaps, who attempted to overthrow the government. The Republicans behind him jeered and shouted, shut up. Johnson smiled, shook his head. Next question, he said, um, as if he's above answering the question. Uh, This is an important question. This is not a nothing burger. This is not a distraction. It's important to know if the new potential leader of the House acted in a way that's against federal law, that's against the Constitution, and more importantly, against democracy meaning people. There's more. Um, At the uh, New York Times, at New York Times explained in a deeply reported story last year, Johnson's arguments had a singular influence. About three quarters of Republicans supporting Trump's election challenge, the Times noted, quote, relied on the arguments of a low profile Louisiana congressman, Representative Mike Johnson. The most important architect of the electoral College objection. On December 9th, Johnson tweeted, quote, President Trump called me this morning to let me know how much he appreciates the amicus brief we are filing on behalf of members of Congress. Indeed, this is the big one. So that's the guy. Donald Trump did, in fact, endorse him. He's the guy Trump endorsed. And Trump does his <clears throat> does his endorsement this way. He says, you know, I, I like Mike. I think Mike's a good guy. Um, I don't have a negative word to say about Mike, letting people know if you choose Mike, I'm not going to make up a name about him. Okay. All right. Um, this guy was the leader for about two hours. He was the GOP nominee before Mike Johnson. So it took only a matter of hours for the freshest GOP nominee for the US House Speaker position to withdraw his own candidacy. After House Republicans made quick work out of raising support to nominate him, uh, that's Representative Tom Emmer. Uh, he's actually the House Majority Whip, current representative out of Minnesota. He dropped out of the Speaker's race Tuesday after winning the simple top secret majority behind closed doors. Uh, why is that? Well, the dictator, Donald Trump, was not a fan of this fella. He gets a simple majority. Now, remember, before they go into the meeting, everyone says, whoever we choose, no matter what, we're going to support them to be the next speaker, period. He gets the simple majority. 
Everybody says, here, here, we have a leader. Trump says, ah, I don't think you do. We, I, we meant everybody but him. So he resigns. They then go back and choose the guy who would have led this nation into the abyss as their leader. This is about as serious as it gets on every single front imaginable. We will bring you updates as they come. Clarence Moneybags Thomas, put him up full mass. I mean, damn. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas back in the news again. Why? Because he got some more money we didn't know about. He failed to repay a significant portion of, um, let's say, a loan. $267,230 from a friend that allowed him to buy a luxury motor coach in 1999. So according to a memo issued by Democrats on the Senate Finance Committee, this is a hell of a story. According to a new report back in 1999, Thomas entered into an agreement with Welters, who personally loaned him money to help finance the purchase of this really bougie RV, okay? Um, a Prevost Marathon motor coach. Welters told the Times this summer that the loan was ultimately satisfied in 2008. But the new report offers more details about the transactions. In the report released by the committee, its staff said they received more information about the loan, including a handwritten note from Thomas on Supreme Court stationery dated December 6, 1999. The documents included a promissory note detailing that the principal balance of the note had an interest rate of 7.5% a year. In 2004, the loan was extended for 10 years. According to the summary, committee staff reviewed a note from Welters in 2008 that stated that Thomas had been paying him interest only on the vehicle for many years and that Welters would no longer seek payment because he believed that Thomas had paid interest greater than the purchase price of the bus. There's more. According to the report, Welters did not feel it was appropriate to continue to accept payments even though he had the right to them. But the committee staff said that, quote, none of the documents reviewed by the staff indicate that Thomas ever made payments to Welters in excess of the annual interest on the loan. Based on the documents reviewed by the committee staff, Anthony Welters forgave a substantial amount or even all of the principal balance of his loan to Clarence Thomas, constituting of the forgiveness of approximately $267,230 of debt owed by Justice Thomas, the report includes. Now, I want to say this. People say, well, what's the big deal about forgiving a loan? Okay, here's the big deal. That means you just gave a Supreme Court justice a quarter of a million dollars. Who's in the business of giving a Supreme Court justice a quarter of a million dollars without purchasing something? Uh, And that is the issue. That's the ethical issue you have. What did he buy with that half, a quarter of a million dollars? All right, so Thomas Lawyer uh, disputes the claim, but hours after the report appeared 
On the committee's website, a lawyer for Thomas disputed its findings in a rare statement. Quote, the loan was never forgiven. Elliot S. Burke, a lawyer for Thomas, said in a statement, adding that, quote, any suggestion to the contrary is false. Burke's statement appeared at odds with the committee's finding. Uh, the Thomas has made all payments to Mr. Welters on a regular basis until the terms of the agreement were satisfied in full. He said, Burke declined to provide any additional evidence or information uh, to that statement. Attorneys can do that, all right? Okay, uh, more money, more money, more money. It stretches back to the beginning all the way to now. Uh, this seems to be a practice and culture, all right, thoughts. Yeah, who's going to make him pay the money back? You know, who's <laughs> going to hold Clarence Thomas accountable? Will Congress impeach him? Or are they going to take away his salary? They're not gonna. They would have done it by now. Clarence Thomas isn't worried about consequences. He's only worried about himself and his money and his wife, Ginny. He just wants his money however he gets it. He doesn't care about the ethics behind it. And he is in an extremely unique and elite position in this country to where, you know, he really can kind of get away with it. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Hell of a thing, um, Congressman Hank Johnson, to note the record, has presented legislation uh, to remove uh, this individual and to also hold him accountable for the action. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Thank you. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Uh, let me read a couple of these comments. Um, over 9,000 says, wow, I wish a Clarence wouldn't. Exactly. Love Big 41. Uh, children named Arian and Nation, she purposely ran that person down. Her being under the influence had nothing to do with it. David Morris, uh, you're supposed to be able to avoid a deer too, right? Um, and <laughs> snack underscore panther. Uh, Clarence Moneybags, Uncle Ruckus Thomas. Yeah. Twitch, agnostic sister. Uh, I don't even have words for that effing nonsense talking about the um, the driver who killed the indigenous woman. Uh, I agree. I love 18 white girls. She should have been arrested for the drugs in the car and child endangerment from the beginning. That's simple. You use that as your gateway to get her to confess to the rest. Now, now man, we know you didn't just hit a deer, right? You got an interrogation room under something that's actually credible. Uh, you got children, you admitted to this, children in the car with drugs. You own fentanyl a week ago. Um, you got syringes in the vehicle now. That's way more than probable cause to do the rest. Arrest, warrants, investigation. They did nothing. They did nothing. Wow. All right. Um, this is a hero. A Florida dad died saving his kids. From an electrified fountain. Put up the picture. Nate Davenport, a US Navy veteran who served in the Iraq War, died saving two of his four children from an electrified fountain. This was at a shopping center in Jupiter, Florida. Let me give you the background to this very sad, at the same time, courageous display of. Of a father's love. His mother, Mary Davenport, described the scene from Sunday telling WPBF that her grandchildren were screaming. We're getting shot. We're getting shot, Mary explained. So he rushed to save them. 
Davenport headed for the fountain and grabbed his children. But he and other helpful bystanders were shocked as well during the rescue. He took a hit for his kids. We had 45 years with him. God blessed us with him. He's an amazing man, Mary told WPBF. He's loyal. He's a good father. He's a great husband. He loves Jesus. And yeah, he gave his life for his kid. Firefighters reported that people nearby tried to help the child before the possible electrocution in the water. Eight people were evaluated for injuries. Three people declined medical treatment. Two adults, including Davenport, were taken to nearby hospitals. Three children, including Davenport's eight-year-old and 11-year-old sons, were taken to St. Mary's Medical Center. Davenport was taken to Jupiter Medical Center where he never regained consciousness and he died. Uh, Davenport's wife, Amy, their children and parents were unable to say goodbye. Put his picture up again. Um, what he did was instinctive. Um, what he did was a display of hopefully any decent father's love. Uh, and they would have done the same. I would have done the same. And the children may have to digest at some point when they understand this better, what happened. And my only hope is that what they digest, what they accept as truth, is that they are here because their dad loves them. And that is, all right, this is the thoughts here. Oh, this is so sad. You know, I'd imagine that in a situation like this, you don't really have the time or even the interest to really consider the risks or the consequences of going into something like that. But he knowingly did what he had to do just to save those kids. It's like what you were saying. It's just parental instinct. I'm not a parent, so I'm only imagining. But it was very admirable what he did. And I'm sure his family is so proud of him. And I wish the best for them all. There you go. All right. We got more on the other side. Stick and stick. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Okay, let me read some of these comments. Always thankful for the engagement. Here we go. Capricic Cancer Moon, Ah Clarence Dam Thomas, the Scotus scam artist. Yeah. And L. Heath or Hefe, Clarence about Clarence Thomas. This dude has some major karma coming for him and his wife. I mean, she tried to overthrow the government. He's getting a bunch of money off record. Uh, he's in the pod. All right, high school football brawl triggered because of racism. Put up the picture full mask. Well, what team do you think gets ultimately punished? I'm sure you guessed it right. In Syracuse, New York, a city school official or city school officials believe that race played a central role in a high school football brawl between the Public Service Leadership Academy at Fowler and Watertown teams on Friday, October 13th. Syracuse City School District Superintendent Anthony Q. Davis okay, shared that the crowd at the game instigated the fight in the second quarter, leading to the cancellation of the game and for the P. SLA, Public Service Leadership Academy, at Fowler to forfeit its next critical game. So 
cause and effect is being established by Mr. Davis, okay? It's not the kid's fault. Davis said, and I quote, it was coming from the field and there were specific terms used, N-word, coon, monkeys, and all of those things were used against kids on the field. Davis said, adding the comments were directed at the Fowler players and their parents at the game, according to Syracuse.com. As the team started to fight on the field because of this instigation taking place, officials made the decision to just end the game. Just over one minute remaining in the first half, Fowler was winning 22 to 7 over Watertown High School. Officials declared the game no contest. That means neither team, one composed of white players and the other predominantly black, would face any penalty. Okay? However, for one of the schools, this incident cast a shadow over the entire season. Initially, the school official stated that the team would forfeit its Section 3 Class A2 playing game against Nottingham on Friday, October 20th. The move allowed Nottingham to advance directly to the sectional tournament. The forfeit also ensured that PSLA Fowler would not be able to go on to the season's big games. Put up the athletic director. So we have the Fowler athletic director, uh, Jolene Todd, said in a statement, quote, I want to start by saying that I'm very disappointed in our team and their reaction to the Watertown team and fans during Friday night's game. We do not condone that type of behavior, and our student athletes will be held accountable, she added. No matter what is said or done on the field, during a game or before it, or even after it, it is never okay to respond the way our players did. But make no mistake about it, they are not alone in this. They were pushed to the brink and unfortunately responded. Uh, keep a picture up. I'm going to need you to shut the hell up in the future when there's a situation like this happening. Meanwhile, Watertown superintendent. So what, what Watertown got to say? Okay, everybody's racist, according to the narrative, even from people who were not necessarily for the predominantly black team. Yes, people were saying N-word and all kind of stuff to them. So the Watertown superintendent, Dr. Larry Schmeagel, said in a statement, quote, allegations of the use of racial slurs are contrary to the goals and mission of the Watertown City School District and continue to be investigated. Any incident that is found will be promptly addressed pursuant to the district's code of conduct. This is an ongoing investigation, and we are not able to comment further. The Water City School District is, however, fully committed to providing an environment that is free of harassment and intimidation for our student athletes, as well as all visiting athletes and spectators. End quote. You see, he just said a whole bunch of uh, nothing. And it works. You see, he knows good and damn well what happened at that game because he knows the community he served. He understands that there was bigotry, racism. He didn't call it out. He didn't say, you, you can't do this. 
we won't allow this. We will punish this. No, is we're going to investigate, look into it, get back with you at a time yet determined by me. And guess what? The media will turn away. There's no action, no penalty, no punishment. And they get to be racist and win games. Allow teams to advance because of a forfeit required by the referees. And at the end of that, the black, predominantly black uh, team gets penalized. Um, the superintendent, I'm very happy. Put him back up again. We got to highlight good leadership. Students deserve to have advocates. This man stood as an advocate, contrary to what uh, this particular athletic director said. The superintendent was an advocate for these students. I do not believe the athletic director was. Sir, if you have the power, I would recommend you fire the director. Because obviously, you and the director are not on the same page. You're the superintendent of school. You're in charge. We appreciate your leadership. All right, just just the thoughts here. Yeah, these things are so disappointing because you know something like this can change the entire trajectory of a kid's life. It can affect whether or not they get recruited for teams, yep. whether or not they get scholarships for college. It can open a lot of doors and you know other things I'm sure that I'm not even thinking about. It's such a waste. These kids work so hard and train so hard to get good at a sport and then it's all taken from them within a moment just because someone else was hateful. And maybe an argument can be made that They were engaging in the fight, and I'm sure that maybe there are consequences for that, whether or not there should be given the circumstances. But it's also putting unrealistic expectations on people, especially teenagers, to expect them to face blatant racism like that and not react emotionally. Not only that, but you're punishing them for not knowing how to deal with things that I'm assuming most adults, especially these white adults, can't even relate to. That's right. Very well said. Experiences, exposures, and environment create the social construct of who we are. And when you lack the experiences, you have to be very careful before responding as that athletic director did. Okay, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Um, celebrate well uh, in Thank your you very upcoming much. birthday. I tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, so you can follow me. You can find all my work on the Rebel HQ YouTube channel. You can find my playlist, Yasmin Khan. And you can also follow my podcast. It's called Modern Context. And I have a new episode out tomorrow. Very proud of you. Always look forward to great content from you. Okay. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.